It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, it's Chloe here. Great to have you out there listening. I'm really pleased to be able to bring you the guest we have today. I've known David for over 10 years. LinkedIn connects us on the 22nd of January 2010, and I'm pretty certain we knew each other for a few years before You know, we all started connecting on LinkedIn, which really dates it, doesn't it? Now, <laughs> he's had a phenomenal career in the industry, done some really impressive things, and we're going to be chatting about going international, about D2C, so that's direct to consumer, when brands are choosing to sell direct to consumer rather than selling via wholesale or via marketplaces. We're going to be talking about how he went about building that whole channel at Decker's, which includes the brand UGG. And we're going to be talking about teams. We're going to be talking a little bit about marketing, about how to going about growth. So much coming up in this episode. I know you're going to find it super useful. Before we get into that, here's the sponsors. This episode is brought to you by SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Shipping and mailing from your desk has never been simpler than with SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. With SendPro Online, it's just click, send and save for as low as $4.99. That's $4.99 a month. Try it free for 30 days and get a free £10 scale when you visit pb.com forward slash masterplan. That's pb.com slash masterplan. And now to introduce today's special guest. David Williams has been in e-commerce for over 20 years, mainly focused on fashion during that time. He's helped build and digitally transform several businesses, both in the UK and across the globe. Most recently, he's been the Senior Director for D2C, that's Direct to Consumer, and looking after a range of footwear brands, including UGG. Other brands he's worked for in the past include Bowers & Wilkins, Charles Tirrett, and Book Club Associates. David is also on the advisory board of the IMRG here in the UK. That's the UK's Online Retail Association. Hello, David. Hello, Chloe. How are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. I'm really pleased to have you on the podcast. Um, I think as everyone can tell from the intro, you have a lot of e-commerce knowledge. Um, So I'm looking forward to learning some things from you in this interview. Before we get into into everything, though, how did you get started in e-commerce? Well, uh, it, it was slightly scary when you said over 20 years, because, yeah, it actually will be 20 years this November. So nearly over. Well, by the time this goes out, it will be over 20 years. So, yes, wow, I've been doing it a long time. In fact, when I started, it wasn't even called e-commerce. I think we called it new media. It was so long ago and, and, and uh, the Internet. So I started a long time ago. I, I started my career actually in publishing. Um, so I used to work for a company called Dorling Kindersley, and then went to another company called Pavilion. And I was a project editor, and uh, and obviously when you're when you're doing books, you're looking at where they're being sold. And and at that time, I was I wasn't super happy with the, my publishing career. I wanted to do something else. And the two and two together, you start seeing Amazon. Um, obviously, was start was mainly selling books at that time, and another company called Bold.com which was owned by Bertelsmann. In publishing, we used to sell to them. So I suddenly realized two and two, put two and two together and went, actually, I want to move into selling, at that time, books online. So I ended up going off this company and I ended up taking a job as of website management, which was the early word for selling online, doing e-commerce, so the book club associates. So that was a long time ago. And I was, I, I 
we used to replicate the catalogs online uh, and, and create lots of additional content around it and try and drive sales. It was very exciting times. And that's how I got into it. That was 20, nearly, nearly 20 years ago. I don't know about you, because I, I mean, I got into this 15 years ago, so not quite as long as you, but almost. And it almost think, feels like these days, the real difference is that we're finally able to do the things we've always dreamed of doing without it costing millions and taking months. I'm sure, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was having conversations with people about the concept of an email welcome campaign and automated emails to get the right message, right person. We're still talking about it today, but now we can actually do it. Well, the technology gets better and better. And I think the other thing you see is you see the technologies that were talked about, you know, in the early days, I, I think I remember, I think it was boo.com. And it was all about, you know, we're going we're gonna to showcase what you see in store online. We're going to have videos and Zoom content. And it was all based on Flash at the time, which didn't, which didn't work on people's computers. But then 10 years later, that's exactly what everyone's been doing. It's all about the user experience. Uh, you can see products online zooming in, looking at, looking at, you know, video contents becoming more and more important. You know, you're right. And then email campaigns, welcomes, welcome campaigns, triggers. It's still, it's still a lot of the same stuff. And interestingly, from a book club associate's point of view, one of the things we used to talk about all the time is what what value does an e-commerce website add? It needs to talk more around content and, and building content. And we used to build lots of content in HTML, um, interviews with with authors and things like that, all that sort of content at the time, which people crave for now. So you're right, it does go, what goes around comes around. Yeah, and I love the fact you mentioned Boo.com because I always think that the book Boo Who which is the book about their story and how they all fell apart. It's just such a fascinating read for anyone in e-commerce. I think especially if you weren't around 10 years ago, because they were trying to do all the things we try to do today. You would you would read what they're trying to do now and go, wow, that's going to be quite the website. And they were trying to do it like 15, 20 years ago. Mental. Let's try and talk about the future, because I think one of the interesting things is the work you've recently been doing at Deckers is the the D to C, which is kind of almost a new phrase we're hearing in the industry. This direct to consumer about getting the brand to the business, you know, to the consumers rather, via whichever channel that is, which I think brings a whole host of new challenges. So building that at Deckers over the last 10 years, what have you found to be the most challenging thing? Well, going back before that at Bowers and Wilkins, um, which was a headphone speaker company, you know, very much wanted to have an e-commerce platform uh, at the time. It, it, there, were, there, were, there were lots of internal debates about whether they wanted an e-commerce platform at the time. And that's that's the initial thing you need to get over. You you need, you really need to have the buy-in, not just at CEO level, but at, at all the senior management level, that this is what you need to do. And it's going to add incremental growth. And Decker's it was a little bit further along that line. It knew he wanted an e-commerce business. Um, but I think the big challenges that you have in companies like Decker's that have traditional wholesale is is getting over the channel conflict. It, it, again, it's around it's it's so it's it's making sure that everybody at a senior level is 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 bought into that this this is this is essential for you to keep growing your brand. You're going to learn a lot more, but from having direct interaction with your consumer as opposed to having your retailers do it. But it, it is going to be incremental. Um, the other challenges are. If you're in a, a traditional wholesale business, is the processes and technologies, uh, certainly the processes tend to be very different. So you need to be able to understand the way that the wholesale business works and introduce new processes and technologies. It takes time and education and collaboration. So these things and investment. <laughs> so these are all really important things that if a brand is going direct, it needs to consider. One of the great benefits of, of having a brand 
that goes direct compared to uh, you know that maybe has already has existing distribution in many markets is that you you have you already have an interest in your brand through your distribution and that's a great bonus that you can have um, as a positive there that you can build on um, when you want to expand into more than one or two markets. And you mentioned there about the the education side and the the bringing people along on that journey. Um, I'm guessing that's not just a case of external partners. That's quite an important job to be doing inside the company as well. Very, very much so. Very much so. Yes. There's. I think it's at various levels, and certainly where it comes to wholesale sales teams, you know, they're um, who, you know, they're sometimes at the cold face of talking to, uh, and this was going back a few years. You know, they're at the cold face talking to multi-brand retailers, you know, who are a little bit worried that you're going direct, you know, they, they're going to hear, they're going to hear, you know, noise from their customers that you might be doing something that they don't like, or what are you doing in this marketing channel that you weren't in before? They'll, they'll hear a lot of that noise and it can be quite disheartening for them. So you just need to, to give them the bigger picture of why it's important that you have a direct consumer relationship. And it's, so you just have to have different ways of talking and, and explaining these things to people. So internally from a, from a sales team point of view, and then from an operations and finance point of view as well, is quite important. So from an operations point of view, a business that's used to, um, you know, doing pre-orders and delivering stock in massive pallets to, to retailers at one time, having to go from, from that to one-to-one consumer orders, that's a big shift and change as well for them to understand that some of the processes they have in place there have to be adapted for that um, so that they can, you know, you, you do have to deliver that, deliver to that customer the next day. You know, if you if you promise a customer that it's gonna, you're going to ship that order out, um, if you take an order before three o'clock, that order is going to go out. That's a new way of thinking. So there's a lot of that you have to go through. And, and that's at every level. Yeah, I remember sitting down with uh, with someone for the for my first meeting with them who wanted gosh, a long time ago, they were B2B and they wanted to start selling online and, and open their, their market up to consumers. And I said to them, so what size boxes are these currently in? Oh, they're in boxes of, of 20. Right. And what happens if someone buys one? And, you know, and it, was, it was like a, oh my God, we hadn't even considered that as an idea. What do we do with the other 19? How do we package it? There's so much kind of technicality, but you can also see it on people's faces at those moments that they're going, Okay, this is a lot different to how we we expected it. So I'm guessing you've you spent a lot of time helping teams and individuals work their way through that process of changing their thinking. Yeah, yes, you do. I, I think well, and one of the other benefits though, if you are starting a brand new channel, and this this is one of the reasons why I, I chose to move into it really was mainly an e-commerce trading and marketing function. You get true full P and L. So you get to understand all, all every level of the business down, and you generally have to set it up yourself. So I had customer service for direct consumer. You know, I I had to set that up. You know, that was you couldn't leverage at that point the existing wholesale customer service team to to take on as well this direct consumer because it's very different, very different expectations. It's very different orders because they're here and now orders of, of products that people want here and now. There is where is my order is a very different question at that level to compared to the ones that wholesales used to. So you you set that up. You're setting up your e-commerce fraud and operate and order processing, you're setting up your obviously your own marketing activities because direct marketing activity is very different to trade marketing, you know. So it, it was quite an exciting time and a good, a good equally gave you a lot of for me, it gave me a lot of um uh, I guess latitude or or ability to to almost set up my own business within a business. Bringing any e-commerce into a business that hasn't done it previously, it is setting up a completely new business model, which sounds very free and very easy, but you also have to integrate it 
entirely with the existing business, both hearts, minds, and technically and physically and all the rest of it. Otherwise, it just won't work. Which bit would you say is is the thing it's, I don't know, easiest to forget or miss out or not give enough attention to as you're going through that change? I guess what I'm trying to ask you is what's the number, anyone who's considering going through that change, what's the thing they need to make sure they don't forget to do? It starts me with the product, to be honest, um, you know, in your brand proposition. What, what do you want to sell online? How do you want that to be an incremental business? Do you want it to be an incremental business? You know, it's, you, you, you need to have that in place because what will happen and also how you, how you plan and manage your inventory. Because if you're going to go direct to consumer, that's one of the first things you, I mean, obviously, apart from a web platform, that's one of the first things you have to do is get, uh, you have to know what product you're going to sell online. You need to have it. You need to have it purchased and bought and, and made, and and that and, and having a real good idea around what that's going to be um, is, is is really important. Getting early on in that process. That was the thing that we took a lot of time to have to re reconfigure after we launched. It's one of the big things I wish I spent more time on. It's both a case of physically having the stock to send out, but it's also working out what's the point of our online channel, isn't it? It's, it's going, right, our online channel is going to stock everything. So our wholesalers can continue to pick and choose, but if they come direct to us, they get the lot. So, or to say, actually, we're only going to sell the best sellers or we're only going to sell this and the wholesalers keep it. But, but until you made that decision, you can't really even start telling the wholesalers you're about to do this because they're going to be asking you questions you aren't going to know the answer to. No, uh, exactly. And I think also when you're starting off an e-commerce business that's quite small within a, a big business, is you know, your a traditional whole, you know, wholesale business works with factories around minimums. So you've got to commit to a certain levels of inventory if you're really going to be a bit more, um, I guess, more pushy in, in, in what you sell. You need to spend a lot of time on that. <laughs> and you need some, you need some, and you need some, you know, it's not a traditional um and and it's it's not a traditional wholesale planning model where you're you know, you're taking orders you you know you're, you're selling what you buy it's 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 a it's a slightly different model when you're looking at um uh, open to your own open to buy it's very it, it's, it it can be you can end up in a situation where you sell out of everything and then you then you're asked why did you why didn't you all buy more stuff or you could end up by having too much and you haven't been able to get the collateral around the marketing activity or get the consumers in more quickly and you end up with overstock so it's just one of those things you have to be mindful of when you're when you're kicking this stuff off. Yeah, and in either case, you have to be you've got to be pally with the wholesale sales guys because if you are understocked, you're going to be going to them going any chance? Have you got any pallets going we can have, or vice versa? If you're overstocked, certainly in the early days, the quickest way to clear those overstocks is to send it out to the wholesale customers as some kind of discount or buy. So you've got to be friends with them at the beginning and not stealing their stock in inverted commas. So I, I'm guessing ring fence stock for the e-commerce solution is the only way to go here? Yeah, I, you need an element of, I, I think, yeah, I think you need an element of ring fencing certain amounts of stock. You have to, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to look after your business, obviously having an element of free stock in between wholesale and e-commerce and, and building that relationship up front that, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours is, um, is also is also important, but yeah, you do need to start with ring fencing the stock. Nothing worse than launching a website uh, and having something sold out because um, it's been selling really well in wholesale. Um, but again, that becomes about your value proposition. Is your value proposition when you launch that you're you have early exclusivity for it for two weeks, or um, you know, or it's or it's a SKU that's only available on 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 where but there's lots of things that you can do there, or or, or with you and select strategic partners. It's just that all takes that all comes with time. 
but yes, it's uh, you do need to rank Ben Stock, I think, for you know that. But equally, you know, you have to keep the dialogue open in, with with your own your inventory um, across the channel. So I'm getting really into the weeds here, but it's it's um, one of those yeah, good, you like you like weeds, good. You mentioned there about it's going to change over time. And I think that's a really important point for anyone out there who's thinking of doing this is you need to start somewhere, not just start nowhere. Um, (laughs) But you've got to be open to the fact it is going to develop and change over the years as you you become only. Because however much planning you do for that first year, you basically have no idea what's going to happen. No. No, you don't. And you can you can plan, um, you know, the weather can be, you know, when we launched the UG website for the UK business, it, um, it was it was that cold, really cold winter in the UK and everything virtually sold out. <laughs> Our classic UG boot product sold out within them, um, it sold out within the first three to four weeks. An amazing start. But it was, it, it, you, you know, there's things like that, that when you've got us, you know, you're, you're, when you're relatively, um, I guess sensible in your your buying, and you don't know you don't know what you don't know you don't know what the brand appetite is there for a direct website. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. But people do want to have connections directly with the brands. I think it, it it's it was it wasn't necessarily something that was that every brand thought about ten years ago. I think everyone realizes now that if you don't have some form of e-commerce business or direct consumer relationship on your brand website, then you're then you're missing a trick. Is the power of the brand a really important part of deciding whether or not to go direct to consumer? Yeah, I think it. I think it. The power of the brand is definitely a, a positive. Yeah, I think if you've got a, a, a what what going online will not do is if your brand is in decline. I don't think it will. It will suddenly be a magic bullet. I think you've got to have some brand equity there to to leverage and and, and kickstart things. Especially, I think with brands as well. Certainly, ones I've you know ones I've worked for have been have had very international, uh, great international presence. And, and it gives you a real, it allows you to start start from a, a position of strength every time you go into a new market because your brand is known. Um, so yeah, it's really important to have that, um, have a strong brand, I think. It's, it's much more tricky going into markets where you have no um, uh, brand awareness. Because it always strikes me that the D2C play is one where you are capitalizing on brand awareness in a marketplace. Rather than the normal e normal in inverted commas e-commerce, when you're starting a business from scratch with e-commerce, where you're using e-commerce to build a brand, it's it's kind of the flip side. Which it brings me on to my next question, which you may also say this one's a bit of a tricky one. Uh, there may not be any answer to this, but do you think the the eventual end point for a D 2 C brand who embraces e-commerce, who embraces their own retail stores, is to go fully non-wholesale? fully non on marketplaces and just have their own own routes to market or is it always going to be about finding the right balance between those different options i believe it's the latter i don't think it's a tricky question i think i i, I think um you know some brands have, have, have uh, you know uh, are, are trying to go that way and have been very open about it some of the big footwear brands have talked around that uh, going around that going around in that in, in that manner not not not, not deckers it's but I think if the thing about it is, it's a balance between uh, a balance between it all because you're if you've got a if you're like UGG for example has a footwear brand it needs to be it needs to be seen in other distribution channels where maybe where new customers have not seen it before so you know it's essential that there we have strategic partners that we're positioned against other brands so we're positioned with it or or other or or in areas where people might be buying other product. Um, you know, whether it's department stores or in concessions or it's essential that we're seen in those locations because you've still got to 
track that footfall um, for those locations. And also for a brand like Arc, for example, which is known for mostly for certain types of products, it's essential that that product is also seen in, in, in lots of other multi-brand retailers. So I don't, I think it's getting the right balance uh, of your retail, e-commerce and, and the wholesale business. I don't think wholesale will ever go away. I think what will happen though is that as business mature, businesses mature, they'll they'll have a, and that's what Deckers has probably been, or certainly um, Arc has been going through. What What's the next stage now? You're, you're already now selling everything that the wholesale sells. You've already got those consumer experiences. What now do you do to help elevate the brand on your in your brand website or in your stores that that takes the consumers to new product that you own or get gets excited in the brand? And and how does that trickle down into wholesale? I think it just becomes a new idiom, a new paradigm as, as your business matures. But I think wholesale will always be there though. Then, as well as you know, taking brands into DTC, you've also done a lot in the space of taking brands internationally. DTC. Does it become picking the right strategy for you know? If we go back to the where the stock is and how the wholesale relationships are and the the brand identity and and that that base strategy at the beginning, does that have to be worked out for each individual country, or is it is it just a case of kind of cut and paste? No, it's definitely not cut and paste. Super. It is super complicated. Um, I, initially, again, it's a bit like with the what we were talking about with the product is you know, cause, uh, the other thing with brands, you know, in different markets, if you've got a wholesale business, you know, your brand can be can be perceived very differently in different markets because, for example, in footwear, um, shoe and office and Kurt Geiger and, and lots of presence, they don't exist outside of the UK. There are completely different brands and, and types of shoes. Uh, stores in germany and in france you know so the brand perception and distribution might be very different the brand perception might be different you might you might find that um slippers might sell more in germany rather than boots you know there's there's elements of that you've got seasonality and you know that, that's certainly the case in say somewhere like italy where it's warmer you know so the brand can be perceived differently in every location so it's not mal come paste you'll also have a good view of of, of your brand equity in the, in each of those locations. So that brand awareness may be different in those locations, which will, again, adapt your marketing activity and how you go to market there. You know, obviously, you've got to consider then, then there's all, all the cultural elements of moving into those markets. So, you know, and obviously, you've got different languages, different payment types. Um, there are different laws and, <laughs> different laws and, and things like that to different markets, whether it's trading laws, you know. You know, in Germany, in, in retail, for example, you don't, you know, they don't, most most stores still aren't open on a Sunday, you know, same in France. So e-commerce is bigger on a Sunday in Germany and France than it is in the UK. So there's so there's lots of little variances that you need to consider. And payments being is one of the biggest one. And obviously then, and also distribution as well. You know, your, what providers are you going to use to ship to to every market eventually? You know, um, you know, do you use a... Um, a consolidator of and you use different providers for each different market or do you do you stick with your um, UK provider if you're shipping internationally and so there's lots of things to consider I haven't even said the the six letter word begins with B and ends in T you know so there's there's lots to it, it's very complicated so you have to go give a lot of thought to each market and have a good go-to-market strategy e-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector here's a reminder of who they are 
Shipping and mailing from your desk has never been simpler. With SemPro Online from Pitney Bowes, it's just click, send and save for as low as $4.99 a month. Send envelopes, flats and packages right from your desk. And for being an e-commerce master plan listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started and a free £10 scale to ensure that you never overpay. Save time and money on mailing and shipping with SemPro Online. Starting at $4.99 per month, you can also qualify for special USPS rates for letters and priority mail shipping, calculate exact postage online and do it all by printing from your PC. Go to pb.com forward slash masterplan to access this special offer for a free 30-day trial plus a free £10 scale to get you started. That's pb.com slash masterplan. Experience shipping made simple with a free trial of SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. It's time for the Top Tips Round. Okay, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. David, are you ready for the top tips? Okay, yes, I am. It's not going to be that bad, I promise. Um, Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? I don't know what books you've been recommended before. I mean, we all get a few business books that, that come our way with training. The one that I enjoyed reading the most i think was was because i'm a big believer in, in teamwork and, and and teams working well together either with my peers either above me or below or my teams reporting to me so patrick len patrick len Coini's five dysfunctions of a team uh is is a, is, is, a, is a really good book and and it just talks about if you're going if you're going to build strong teams it, it talks about how the importance of of uh the importance of trust um, the importance of accepting conflict between you, but positive, you know, positive conflict, um, being committed to what you're to what you're trying to achieve, um, being accountable, and but also um, accountability is really important. But actually, the importance of results as well. So these five dysfunctions, if you don't do them equally, if you do the negative of these, your your teams will not be successful. And there are many examples. I imagine most people listening will have if they go back and look at this book, read it. And then look at their teams. They'll know which teams have worked work better um, as a result of of, of not following what the, uh, not following these these dysfunctions that he mentioned. So um, you know, I think I, I'm always a believer that that the teams are greater than the sum of their parts. And when you get a team that really purrs and, and everything's clicking, it's it, there is no better place to be. And you you're, and the results come in my view after that. So I go go and read it, Patrick Patrick Len. I think Len Chioni or Len Chioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Excellent recommendation. I love the detail there. Okay, the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Um, the one of them, <laughs> I mean, I'm a big believer in marketing mix optimization. So, I mean, I think um, as, as a result of that, I mean, there are, there, are, there are two ends of the spectrum for that. So marketing mix optimization obviously means that you're looking at the channels that, um, where do you invest the channels that are really going to make a difference? So obviously, the content channels up at the, up at the top, are, you know, up at the top of the funnel, the ones, uh, uh, you know, we always underinvest in those because a lot of people still do think work on last click. So I think trying to trying to get your uh, marketing right so that you can you can invest in those areas and, re- and really build those is is important. Um, you know, I, why why I am seeing and you know what I certainly was seeing over the, the last year and a half has been PLAs. The product listing ads are becoming more and more essential that you get those right. 
really, really, really important. Um, they're showing up more. They're driving more revenue. If, you, if there's any, you know, people are also becoming more visual in how they look and browse now. And I think, you know, it's, it's coming more. It's visual and it's going to be voice. And, and so you just got to get that. Got to get that right. Um, and spend a lot of time getting that fixed if it's not working. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot a lot of businesses going, we have to get our Google Shopping campaigns. Fiddly, lovely things that they are. <laughs> uh, okay, the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? Okay, so... Um, the tool that uh, my our US counterparts, global counterparts, started using, so I can't claim any any um, you know innovation on my part, is, is is a tool called Slack. It's just I think we all hate emails, <laughs> um, but Slack is 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 kind of like a social media email tool. It's a bit like Link or, or go uh, not go to meeting. It's like a Link tool. So, but it, it just the way it's set up, it allows it allows it's the, the the technology teams and the product ownership teams we worked in an agile world, they love it because it, it's it's a great way of keeping track of conversations. It's got lots of ways. It, it just works like a social media tool, and yet yeah, it's a great way of keeping track of everything that's being done, keeping track of different streams that are happening in your business, and it and and it fits with the. You know, I, I'm I'm an old man. I've been doing this for 20 years, but you know, it fits it fits with the with with, with the way that the teams like to work at a, at a certainly a more junior level. And and when I've been involved in it and used it, it's I can see why it's a great tool. So if you're going to use a tool that, that says you're know, not going to use email to communicate, Slack is the one to look into. Nice. Okay, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Well, I think, I think e-commerce. I think when people who don't, who haven't done e-commerce before, or or are really trying to get exponential growth, think that they need to do everything. And I think you. It goes back to what I was saying before. You need to really understand your unique proposition. Uh, what makes it unique, and then then you look at how if you have got an existing brand, what are, what are, what are the existing customers buy buying, and or what's going to keep them buying, and then try and focus your efforts on getting new customers around the products that brought those people in. It's 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 kind of straightforward. You need to build your traffic around that. Don't don't try and do everything uh, because you'll you'll fall over. You won't have the 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 ability to do it, and then the growth will come out of that because you'll be more focused. Your marketing will be more effective. You'll be focusing more on the consumer journeys around the products that they're buying, and and, and your conversion rate will increase. You know, you'll be, you know, they're, they're more likely to come back and buy buy that product or a product similar to that. Um, I think it's really important that you just focus on those on those key things. I would also say, obviously, um, another way, <laughs> given my experience, is if you're in a brand, you've got to look at te- look at how quickly you can scale out internationally, because internationally is white space if you haven't done it before. Um, if you've got a brand, as I said, you probably have some brand equity in other locations. I bet your Google Analytics or other traffic will show you that you've got probably got 20, 30% of traffic coming from other locations. Um, there is definitely opportunities there for brands who want to do that. Excellent advice. As per everything else you told us today has been, David. Um, before we say goodbye, could you let the listeners know where if they want to get in contact with you, they can, please. So if you want to find me, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, David Williams. Um, my, the full URL is davidwilliams-ecommerce and omnichannel director, and you'll be able to find me there. 
Awesome. Thank you, David. I will uh, make sure we put a link direct to your LinkedIn profile on the show notes page for everybody. And I'm sure you'll get a couple of questions over the next few weeks. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been great catching up with you and chatting through all things, I know, D2C, international, um, team building. We've covered so much ground um, and I know the listeners will have got a lot out of it. Out of it. So thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Great to catch up with David there. I hope you got lots of ideas for growth of D2C and other e-commerce businesses there. And I think his strategic advice and his strategic knowledge in and actually of getting it done in these places, considering what he's achieved at the various businesses he's worked at over the last 10, 20 years, is, uh, is going to be useful to all of you. To get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips, links and details of related episodes, head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, where we've also got a link to David's uh, LinkedIn page. And if you are loving the podcast and you're listening via Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do give us some feedback via their review system. It's much appreciated and I love hearing what you think. I hope you're having a great week. Don't forget to keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.